Welcome to Worship at Grace Lakin. This service was recorded on January 29, 2023. Pastor Ram continues the series on the book of Ruth with a sermon from chapter 2, verses 1 through 23, titled, Wrecked and Thankful. Good morning, everybody. Uh, we'd like to start off our service by reflecting on our mission statement. By grace, we are rooted in the gospel, committed to growing together and sent to love ladies and the nations. So please, please rise and join me in the call to worship. Uh, today's call to worship is based on Psalm 119, verses 9 through 13. I will read the unbelievable portion as a leader, and you can all join me in the unbelievable portion as an all. With your whole heart, seek after the Lord, and do not wander far from his commandments. So are thy places greater than your heart, that sin might be put all off. Blessed is the Lord who teaches his statutes. With your lips, declare all his ways, and meditate upon his paths. You will remain standing, and you will sing.
challenge to whether um, if that hope and the truth in the gospel. And we were so grateful for you and what you've done for us. And um, we just, I, just, I want to read 1 Peter 1, 3, and 4, which says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is unperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And we are reminded in that promise and in those words from, from Scripture that, uh, that Christ is the first and the last, but first and the last and the living one. He has died, and behold, he is alive forevermore. And we, Lord, we just worship you for that this morning. You are alive forevermore. And that is caused to sing. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.
open it up and turn to the renewal. Uh, we again, uh, we're going to look at Psalm. Uh, we're going to look at Psalm 25. We're going to jump around a little bit in Psalm 25. And then again, the Psalms. I love the Psalms uh, because I don't know about you, but uh, I have some emotions. All right, does anybody else have some emotions? Absolutely no one in this church this morning has any emotions. It's okay. It's cold outside, but we're in church. You're here. It's okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love it because we can come to God uh, with, and He can handle our emotions. Uh, he can handle how, how, we're, uh, how we are, angry, tired, whatever it is. So, and I love it that this is the psalmist. He's just, again, lamenting to the Lord. But here it is, Psalm 25, and we're jumping around in it. It says, be mindful of your mercy, O Lord. See, again, he's telling, he's crying out to the Lord to remember something that he really is. Be mindful of your mercy, O Lord, and of your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me, for your goodness sake, O Lord, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lowly and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble, and forgive all my sins. Is that not good? Does anybody feel like that this morning? Just consider my afflictions, consider my trouble, and forgive my sin. And that's what we're going to do. Let's just pause in the time of uh, silent prayer and confession. Just honestly, you can just look at this and just pray this back to the Lord in this moment. So let's take a time of silent prayer and confession. so thankful. We can pray as the psalmist prayed. We can say, and I pray we'd say it as a community right now to you. Turn to us and be gracious to us. For we are lonely and afflicted. Maybe it's been affliction that we've caused ourselves. Trying to fill the gap of our heart outside of you. And it's left us feeling lonely and afraid. Maybe it's something that has, has been done to us. But Lord, I am just praying that we would we would take the eyes off that. We would we would leave our sin, we would leave our affliction, we would leave our heaviness at your feet this morning. Because 
not because I say so or because that's what we, we say in church, but because we're banking on what your word says. That you are full of mercy, you are gracious. And so, Father, I pray that your spirit will just use this time together to help us. To help us to behold, to really behold your glory this morning. Slow us down, help us to be aware of your presence. Speak to us, form us, move in us to your glory. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, first Peter, assurance of our pardon. So again, this is the time we're saying, hey, we're the assurance of our pardon saying. Let's, let's look at it. First Peter. First Peter 2, 1 verse. First Peter 2, 24. He himself bore our sin in his body on the cross. So that, free from sin, we might live for righteousness by His wounds. Everybody say His wounds. Let's say it again. His wounds. By His wounds you have been healed. His wounds, not your wounds. His wounds. So let's stand and let's see you there.
how are we doing, everybody? Good, good, all right. Um, if you have your Bible, you can turn to the book of Ruth. Again, that's where we're going to be. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Ruth. Uh, Ruth chapter 2 today, but before we do, uh, we're going to jump in uh, to uh, the New City Catechism. Um, again, we're going through this this year as a church. Catechism is just a way to help us grow in the truth, uh, and not just in the truth, but allow it to saturate into our hearts. So we're looking at a really big doctrinal phrase each week. Um, and so if you want more information, there's a, there's a book for everyone there as you exit the sanctuary on your right. Um, and I encourage you to do that. Again, there's an app. You can sing some songs. Anybody using the songs? I'm putting it in the spot. No one using the songs. Anybody using Okay, all right. You can, you can try. Try. I just try to use the songs. But this week's question, uh, how many persons are in God? All right? So uh, last week we looked at who is God. And uh, one of these weeks I'm just going to say, hey, when you say what it, who it is, and you're going to stand up and you're going to get it. Uh, I know some of you uh, so how many persons are in God? Let's read it together. There are three persons in the one true and living God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are the same in substance, equal in power and glory. So, again, uh, we're looking at that question this week. Um, and I just encourage you to memorize it, to, to, to think about that and use the, the, the books to, to help you do that. But again, we're in Ruth, we're in Ruth, and I'm going to attempt to do a whole chapter today. And I tried, I honestly, I tried to think of ways to break this, this chapter up. But like every commentary I read, every pastor that preached on this day, I mean, it's just, you have to do all of chapter 2. So there's 23 verses. I'm going to stop talking because I'm going to read a lot. I'm going to read all chapter 2 this morning, alright? So buckle your seatbelts. And, and here we go. It's on the screen. Uh, 23 verses, starting in verse 1. Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young to his young man, who was in charge of reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant, who was in charge of the reapers, answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of, of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves and the reapers. So she came and she, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. She hardworking. Verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in, a, in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young woman. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to, go to the vessels and 
drink what the Lord would and drink what the young men had drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? Verse 11. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and your mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat. Eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she ate beside the reapers and, and, he, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed this young, the young man, saying, Let her glean even among the sheep, and do not approach her. And also put out um, some from the, the bundles. For her and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. We'll talk about how much that is. And, and she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over and, and, and after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed, bless the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law, with whom she had worked, and said, The man, the man's name, with whom I work today, is Boaz. How about that? Verse 20. And Naomi said to her, her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close behind my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, least in another field, you be salted. So she kept close to the young woman of Boaz, leaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother and mom. And you're like, what about Boaz? Oh man, that's how I, I did it. But man, so much here. Uh, titling this message, Rex. Wrecked and favored. Turn to your neighbor and say, Wrecked. There you go. Turn to your neighbor and say, And favored. Wrecked and favored. Wrecked and favored. Let's pray one more time. Lord, that is a lot of text. And I'm so thankful for it. That it is your word. <clears throat> and I'm just praying that, Father, right now, you would just help us to see what is here. That we would marvel at what is here. That we would enjoy what is here. Because ultimately, God, I pray that it would point us to 
you, that we would delight in you, that Father, you would do redeeming work in our hearts by the by the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, using a wheat vessel like me, Lord. And I pray that again, that's what we just see here in this text. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. All right. Be a little horrible this morning. I remember when I was in high school, me and my wife would uh, watch these uh, Nicholas Sparks movies. Anybody know about these Nicholas Sparks movies? All right. Nobody, nobody's watched the Nicholas Sparks movie. You're all a bunch of sitting. Okay, Nicholas Sparks movie. These books. All right. Man, okay. Maybe this is gonna be a really bad illustration. But I, I remember watching these Nicholas Sparks movies. Uh, there's these, these, these rom-com type of drama type movies, and uh, the most popular one by far was The Notebook. Uh, it was The Notebook. And there was something about these movies, um, I remember we, when we were watching them, I just, it's like, oh, come on, I don't want to watch one of these. Let's watch like Braveheart or like The Patriot or something like that. And, and secretly, secretly, like, and here, here's the fact. You know, and my wife called my love. She's like, you like these movies. You know, she may know, she, come on, you, you know you like these movies. And she called, she called my love. Because here's, here it is, alright? Please let me still be your pastor after this. I still want to like those movies. Alright? I kind of did. And here's why. And, and, and if you're a real man, and you're being honest with yourself this morning, you watch these, there's something about you that kind of, uh, like, somewhat enjoys these movies. And what it, what is it that I enjoy about these movies? And here's what it is. And every single one of them, it never fails. There's like some damsel in distress. She's like, oh my, she's falling apart. And it steps like a Boaz. Like some guy, and he's just like, he's a, he's a little eight year. He's just this hero. And he's going to come and try to rescue and try to restore what's going on. And, and he just comes, and, and it never fails. Like, it, it just, he, he, he comes to be some type of hero. Um, and again, it's, whew. It's a Nicholas Sparks movie. It's way dramatized. But, now you might be thinking, oh my goodness, that's a horrible analogy for Ruth 2. But, I really did start thinking about Ruth 2 because in Ruth 2, we've been seeing Naomi and Ruth, they are, they are completely at wit's end. They're wrecked, it, it wrecked lives, and in steps uh, this hero. And I want to say this little H hero. And this little H hero is Boaz. And why I want to say a little H hero is this. Is because all throughout, uh, again, anytime we read scripture, guys, anytime we are reading scripture, we're always saying, okay, yeah, there's, uh, there is a hero in the story, but it's always po pointing ultimately to a capital H hero, which is Christ. Which is Christ. And of course we see Christ all throughout the book of Ruth. And so this morning, as we look at, uh, again, this, uh, this amazing narrative, today's text, the, today's application for today's text is not going to be like, hey, just be like Boaz. We all need to be like, just be like Boaz. But no, I hope you see, look at Christ. Because here comes the question for all of us. Here comes the question for all of us. Who are we in the narrative? Like, when you read scripture, who are you? <laughs> Listen, you're Ruth. You're Ruth in this story. We're Ruth in the story. In, 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 in the whole redemptive story, that's right. We're the ones in need of rescue. 
We're the ones in need. Listen, I hate to bust your little bubble this morning. You're never the hero in the story of the Bible. You're not the guy who steps into Nicholas Sparks' room and is like, damn, I'm going to take care No, you're like, oh, I'm in need. And so the question for us, how can we learn from this story? You just read this huge story of the Ifa and all this. Like, what's this have to do with my life? Is because what do you do in moments when you feel completely weak? What do you do when you've hit the end? With, man, you just cannot parent one more day. Because you are just, whoo, you, I mean, you can't walk into the job again because it's just, the heaviness is there again. This is what Ruth is teaching us. What do we do in the midst of those suffering times and the heaviness of life? And let's just be honest, it is that when you feel like Ruth, and I would be the worst pastor, fire me tomorrow, if you come in here and I said, come on. You're the hero. You can do it. Get outside and just come on already. Why? It's because there's no power in that to change your life. We believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ here this morning. And I love how uh, what Spurgeon says. He says, Jesus is our glorious Boaz. And I love this kid's book. And you can write this down. This is in your notes. The King and the Dragon. If you don't have this kid's book, I'll let you borrow it from us. But it's The King and the Dragon. It's written by a pastor named... Uh, did I write it? Oh, yeah. Joe, Joe Ringley. And he says, he summarizes the whole Bible in one sentence. This is my favorite summary sentence of the Bible. Are you ready? Here it is. Kill the dragon and get the girl. Kill the dragon and get the girl. I love that. You know why? Because we're all the girl, like, oh, we're in it. And you ain't killing the dragon. Jesus is a dragon slave. He, he comes in the midst of our weakness and kills the dragon. So, woo, that's not, I mean, that's just an introduction. Okay, so God is rescuing. God is a rescuing, amazing God. And so we should trust Him. We need to trust Him in these seasons. But the question we're going to see, how do we do it? I'm glad you guys asked that. Do you see you guys just act like, thank you for asking that question. Like we're on the same page. And that's what I'm going to ask. That's what, that, that's what I'm going to show you. How, how do we trust God in the midst of all this? Again, we trust God, number one, we trust God by stepping out in faith. We trust God by stepping out in faith. So, Verse 1, again, I'm not going to, if for you, people who love, like, oh, I love when you do every single verse, I cannot do that this morning. We're going to do bigger chunks, and it's just 23 verses a lot. So, verse 1, though, we're getting, we get introduced to Boaz, and I love how the author does this. He's like that really bad friend. Anybody that's done this when you're, like, watching a movie with your friend, and he's might have seen it before, and he's trying to tell you everything that's about to happen, and you just want to smack them. Just let me watch the movie. That's what he's doing here. That's, that's what the author's doing in here is because they're saying pay attention. The author's saying pay attention to Boaz. Throughout the chapter, pay attention to Boaz. And this is, by the way, this is not Naomi leaning over to Ruth and saying, hey, by the way, uh, we got this tension reading room. We got the Boaz guy. No, this is, this is not that. 
This is not that. And also notice verse 1. He's from the clan of Elimelech. Why that's really great is that's the same clan as Naomi. And we're going to see how that is huge as we talk about what a kinsman redeemer is. Oh, man, so much is piling on here. And verse 2, what does Ruth do? Even though she's in a rough spot, coming to the end of herself, she's, oh, just, like, what does she do? Does she sit around? Does she soak in bitterness like Naomi is? No, she moves. She actually acts. She goes into a field and hopes to find favor. That's really important to get. She's seeking favor. Now, what's she doing in the fields? She's gleaning. Now, we don't use that word a lot. A bunch of gleaning. What, what is that? Gleaning. Like, what is happening here? You've got to get this. So, and you see this in your notes. I think I put it there. Leviticus 19 and Deuteronomy 24. We get these gleaning laws. Right? These gleaning laws from the Lord. And what these gleaning laws were doing, were it was a way to help care for the poor, the soldier, the downcast, the outcast of society. What the Lord said, it, and what he commanded, what he commanded was, hey, harvesters, when you go out, you go out onto your fields, uh, let's, let's leave a little bit of the edges. Okay, let's leave a little bit of the edges so that way when the poor or the soldier can come by and they can, they can pick and clean and get some, of the, get some food for themselves. So you type A combine drivers. I did this. I, I did. Hey, I drove a combine. I can drive a combine. That might have been the wrong thing to say. You can call me on that shit. I'll drive a combine. All right? I'm very good. But I remember you, you go back and you turn right and you leave edges. How annoying would it be if you just left the edges? I don't know if that's a farming technique. It might be. I don't know. Don't, don't correct me right now. But you leave the edges for, for the poor. And you have to see. And here's the society application here. I think sometimes, I know I've heard this, and I've had people come into me in my office and talk to me and be like, hey, I just don't know about that Old Testament stuff. Like, I'm all about New Testament grace and ooh, Jesus. Yeah, but I just don't know about the Old Testament. There's actually people throwing out the Old Testament. And why? What's the argument? God's mean in the Old Testament. He's a bully. Like killing nations and like doing horrible things. And like it just seems like he's mean. If you understand some of these mean, like the laws that the Lord was establishing and that he did establish, Yes, our, our God has always cared for the poor, for the outcasts, for those in society that no one else needs to be around. That's our God. So we don't have a mean God of the Old Testament, a God of grace in the New Testament. No, no, He's always been a God of grace. He's always been a God of grace. And we're going to come back to these, but verse 3 and 6, we're going to see that she ends up in Boaz's field. Okay, this is good. We just come back to that. But verse seven. Look down to verse seven again. She had been working so tirelessly. She had been there the whole time working without. I love how the text says without much rest. Oh, I love this. So the first thing I really want you to see, and we can see right from this, these first seven verses from the text, is that. Even in the midst of our trials and pains and suffering, you have to see that what Ruth is doing, she's seeking favor from the Lord. 
But she's not waiting around for it. She's actually moving out into action. Stepping out in faith. And see, sometimes I think in times of difficulty, I've been there. Again, I'm going to share just a little bit about first testimony in a second. But when you are feeling the weight, whatever it is, the weight of job, relationship stress, and you just feel the weight of it, the, and, 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 and your heart might get start getting these layers on it, and you just start feeling heavy. The temptation is to be like Ruth. The temptation is to just soak and say, you know what? I'm just, God, I'm just I'm done. I'm, just, I'm, I'm done. But what Ruth does, I do believe it's helping us. It's helping to help me this week. Is Ruth is still stepping out in faith. Even in the midst of everything going on in her life. I mean, even though she, she's been converted, it's amazing. But she's still, like, literally mother-in-law in a foreign country. All this. And she's still stepping out and seeing, seeing, listen, seeing God's law. Seeing the gleaning laws as favor, as grace to her, and obeying that. And see, listen, the power to keep stepping out of faith, this is really helpful, the power to keep stepping out of faith is not dependent on how great your faith is, but where your faith is lying. And her faith is lying on an amazing, powerful God who's instituted even given these leaning laws. So faith could look like this for some of you. Some of you might feel beaten up on the side of the road of life. Just tired, aimlessly tired. And faith might just look like you just saying, I'm not feeling anything right now in my walk with the Lord. I'm not, it feels heavy, but I'm just going to keep opening the word. And I'm going to say, well, just keep speaking. I'm going to keep stepping into church. You know, I might not be feeling stuff right now. and be feeling heavy. But I'm going to keep moving. Not putting weight on your action, but putting weight on the fact that God throughout history has used the means of grace to stir people's hearts for Him in the midst of seasons. I remember, I told you, well, I remember a season. I'm not kidding you. I was this close to giving up in ministry. It was like year seven. I remember just, I was right next to the church. I would walk over the church. I was just like this. And I was, uh, I was tired. I didn't see much change in people's life. It was just pain after pain, problem after problem. The world's falling. Everything's crashing. And I thought, what is the point? I just want to go. Do something else. It seems tired. And I had an interception in my office and I'm venting with him. And he said, You know, sometimes I don't know if this season, but I just had to pray this. Lord, I don't really want you right now. He prayed this. Lord, I don't even really want you right now, but I want to want you. Our God's big enough to handle those types of prayers. But that is faith. That is faith. And that's what we see Ruth. Out gleaning. She's not sitting there. No, I'm going to, I'm just going to keep seeking. I'm going to keep gleaning. Are you tracking with me? You alright? Okay. I know we're getting some feedback in hand. It's going to be alright. Verse 2. We, uh, I mean not verse 2, eight, verses 8 through 
13. And second way, again, through these seasons, how we trust God. We can trust God by resting in His favor. Everybody say favor. There we go. Verse 3, I love this. Uh, she happened, I love this, is my favorite verse. She happened to come to the part of the field of Boaz. And why I love that is because that word happened in the Hebrew is, is this. Um, literally, it, it, the phrase reads, chanced, chanced upon. <laughs> chanced, chanced upon. And what is happening? Why, why is the author, why is he saying that? Why, 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 why write it like that? Because I love it because he is, this is like a Hebrew sarcasm or hyperbole. It's like, oh, it just so happened to be that she wanders into Boaz's field. No, it's not so happened to be. It isn't. I mean, he's pretty sarcastic that this is not chance. This was not chance at all. This was a divine appointment that she ends up in Boaz's field. Listen, I love these conversations about man's free will, God's sovereignty. We'll, we'll, we'll geek out on that. You want to go talk to the coffee shop? We'll talk about all that. That's great. But, but, but really, you want to know what it is? You move, and God directs. Like, we, 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 I mean, it's just, it's, just that, it's just what happens. God is orchestrating. Like, he is, she's moving, and God's doing it. I love how Jesus, he even knows when a sparrow falls to the ground. He, right, I mean, the Lord is appointed. He's directing her steps. In verse 4, I love this. And it says, Behold, Boaz. And the And again, speaking of Nicholas Sparks movies, like that moment you're sitting there watching it, and uh, there's just so many. It's like, what? That is so far fetched. Seriously, he just came in at that moment where she's just like, oh, I just dropped something, and oh, he walked, oh. Like, come on, really? But that's exactly what is happening here. God's doing it. There's some providential things happening in the Nicholas Sparks movies. And so, um, and, and, and what, what we see here is that, what, what do we know about Boaz? Verse 4, I love this. Um, well, before we get to that, we know he owns multiple fields, so he's somewhat wealthy. He's, a wealthy, he's kind of a wealthy guy. But then verse 4, we know he greets his workers like this. And by the way, all of you who have people work under you, do this tomorrow. I just want to see what happens, okay? Sign up. This is a trial. Three out your workers. All right, this is what he does. He comes in, he says, the Lord be with you. All right? The Lord be with you. And how do they respond? And the Lord bless you. That's not a minor detail. What does that tell us about Boaz? Boaz is a godly man. He's got great character. He's going into his work and blessing everyone around him. And I want, I want you to lean in. I mean, most of us were in, and here's the reality. I cannot reach the people at your work. But you can don't ask me to do it either. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll befriend him. Sure, I'll, I'll tell him, you know, hey, Chris, you know, here's who Jesus is, but God put you in your work for a reason. And he's put you around certain people in your work for a reason. And what's the reason? To shine the hope of the glory of Christ by what you say, how you act, how you handle, and, and, and it's not accident. That's how God does his mission. It's so great. Do you realize that? It's so cool. And that's what we see Boaz doing. He's even he's 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 using these opportunities to point um, uh, his workers even to, to to God's glory. He's a godly man. But then we 
we see how the, the author building this intention, how is he going to respond to this? And that's what we're all in pins and needles asking. And he says this. He says this to the workers. He asks, whose young woman is this? And I love how one uh, author said, that's Hebrew for her. That's Hebrew for, man, check her out. That's, that's Hebrew for what that means. No. I'm just kidding. That's not. But it's kind of. It's kind of because he says, and but the, the amazing thing is, is the word whose. Now, he didn't say who, but whose. Meaning, he's saying, what clan does she even belong to? It's not really who is she, but whose is she? Because, and you've got to see Jesus already in Boaz. You've got to see Boaz's amazing character because he's already seen that this woman is a woman in need. She's a foreigner, she's, an, she's a soldier. Whose clan is she? He's already thinking about kinsman, redeemer, which we'll talk about. And he is going far above and beyond what the law is commanding. And I want to show you this because what does he do? Verse 8, he talks to her. Verse 8, he says, my daughter. And that's like, what in the world? That's not a good thing. Oh, guys, don't be. Like, what that means is that he's just being kind. He's being, again, this is a godly man. He's being gentle. And he said, my daughter. And then he says, all throughout 8 through, um, the eight through like 10, he says, don't glean in another field. Don't go out to any other field. Stay in my field. And then he's going to say, I'm going to protect you. And then this is the wild one. And he says, when you're thirsty, just, we'll give you, we'll give you something to drink. Which normally, it would have been so the other way in that context, in that culture. Are you kidding me? The gleaners would have been the ones, okay, getting the water for the workers and the reapers. Not this. Not this. this is amazing, amazing favor and grace. He's going far and above what the law was even commanding. And I remember in, in seminary, we read this, this fascinating article. He's not always kind of struggled with the law a bit. It makes like, man, it just seems like, oh, I do it. You know, oh, the law just is. I saw it more as something that, to, to take from me that instead of the Lord saying, I know, but the law is there to give you life. The laws are there because it's pointing to the heart of the law giver. And I remember reading this article about do we obey the law like the floor or the ceiling? And track with me. He said the, the, the floor of the law don't kill or murder someone. That's the floor. And you're not boasting in the floor of that law. You're not going around saying, oh, I'm just, I didn't kill anybody today. And we're all like, well, that's great. Uh, wow. Good. That's the floor. But what's the ceiling of that law? And we see this dynamic of floor and ceiling in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is like, hey, you know, you can look at, you know, a, a woman with, with lustful intent, that's, you know, or, you know, if you even have anger in your heart, you're committing murder. And he's, what he's saying is like, we should always be thinking, what's the ceiling of the law? Now, don't ask the minimizing righteous question. Ask the maximum righteous question. And all the while saying, oh shoot, I can't really do it. But I'm looking to the one who has. And, and, and that's what is happening here. And then, get this. 
This is what Boaz is doing because he knows the Lord is good. He's going far above the law because he knows the law is good. And then verse 14 and 16, I know I skipped just the place for a sec, but verses 14 and 16, they have like a lunch date. This is such a great, you know, I mean, it's great. It's such a cool scene. They pass some grain around, hey, you know, did some, you know, did some more grain. And, and they have like a little lunch date. It's great, and, and, and it's, it's such an amazing moment. But then he even says this. He goes again. You've got to see how he's going far above just the natural gleaning laws by saying, oh, by the way, uh, reaper, uh, uh, workers, come here. Let's just dump some grain out for you. That's what happens. See, and what's Ruth's response to all this favor? I love this. Can I go back to verse 10? It's humility. She falls down and she says, Why have I found favor? The very thing she was looking for, she found. But was is it is it is the favor? Is it from Boaz? Yes and no. Because I love this. It's yes and no. Because verse 11 and 13, Boaz explains where this favor comes from. He says, the Lord repay you. And if you haven't been paying attention, these are the most important verses I think in this section. He says, the Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel. And then this next phrase is main phrase. Under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Oh. Now what this is not saying is, oh, oh Ruth, Ruth, uh, the reason you found favor, and by the way, anybody, if, in, the, in, the reason anybody in here is, finds favor with the Lord is because of what you've done. That's, no, that's justification by works. That's, that's, that's not what he is saying here because look where Boaz links it. He sees Ruth's faith as what? As coming under the wings of of God. So Ruth is like a little eaglet. <laughs> Her faith is like a little eaglet taking shelter under these mighty, strong wings of the Lord. Once again, please see, see Jesus through the eyes. And Jesus takes notice of you. He invites you in. He gives you more favor than you would ever dare to dream. And all the while, all of this favor, all of this grace is being heaped upon you. Please hear this. Not because of your strength. Not because of what you've done. And I love, um, this was really helpful for me, uh, there was a pastor, he was saying, you know, he used to go for runs, and he was going for a run, and he would pass this, um, this, uh, this shop, and he said it was a tool and die shop, and I'm like, what is that, a tool and die shop, I don't even know what that is, but he passed this tool and die shop, and on the top of the shop was a help wanted sign bolted above the door, a help wanted sign bolted above the door, and then he said, um, Almost every time he ran by that sign, there was a big no fastened on the top of the help wanted sign. <laughs> and every time he saw it, he 
rejoice in the picture of the gospel. The good news is that God does not need our help. The gospel is not an employment ad. The gospel is faithful. And once again, we see that upon Ruth. Ruth does not turn away in this moment and say, yeah, Boaz, everybody, I know, I know I deserve that. Because let me just tell you, I left Moab and this is all the, you want to see all the records I've done? Of course the Lord needs to give me favor. No. That's not the disposition of the heart. with us. And again, these moments of weakness and trials and listen, the beauty of the gospel again is you coming to the end of yourself. You coming to the end of yourself and saying faith, the gospel, the gospel looks like this. You're a little eaglet going under the wing. Going under the wing of the Savior. So that's, again, power in the midst of those Troubling times. And finally, we'll point here. We can trust God by remaining in His kindness. We can trust God by remaining in His kindness. Verse 17, we learn a lot about Ruth. And one of the things we learn about Ruth is that she's buff. I'm serious. She obviously goes to the gym because she ends up with an ephah of barley, which is about 30 or 50 pounds, by the way. 30 or 50 pounds, and she goes all the way back with this barley, all the way to back to Naomi. All in all of this, this grain. And how does Naomi respond? This is great. She, and the, the, the writer's building um, this intensity in this moment, and, and, and I love it because she's asking, who, who, who blessed you like this? Naomi's like, who blessed you like this? And again, verse 19 is so good. Ruth says, the man's name... Who my word is Boaz. And Naomi says, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Now, whose kindness is she talking about? Is this referring to Boaz's kindness or the Lord's kindness? And what's interesting is in the Hebrew, it reads as bold. It can be bold. Of course it's bold. It is the kindness of the Lord flowing to Ruth and Naomi through Boaz. This is amazing kindness. We talked about this word kindness. This kindness is how we use it. It's not like, oh, that guy was really kind to me. But no, it's like his mercy, his love, his grace all piled up into one. And this is being dumped out again on I mean, on Ruth and Naomi. And the wheels start turning. You see it. The wheels start turning in Naomi as she makes a link. And verse 20, that Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. She says he's one of our redeemers. And we're going we're to talk about this next week, but all I want to say for now on that idea of what a kinsman redeemer is, is a kinsman redeemer was someone who could restore the family name, complete family restoration, security. I mean, a kinsman redeemer would have completely 
and could completely turn Ruth and Naomi's story completely around. And see, this is where I want you to see. In your time of deep sorrow, pain, grief, struggle, Naomi's turnaround encourages me. Because she's going from bitter, but then she starts getting it. And it comes, she starts getting it because it is the kindness of the Lord. And listen, time is moving fast in this story. Is it not? I mean, we've read two chapters, and it's just like years and years and years and years of it taking place. But we really, I mean, it would have been a lot longer for us. I mean, it's not just one person that Naomi's suffering. It's, it's extended periods of times. And that could be for you and I, but please remember this song. Weeping may last for a night, and the night might look like a year for you, two years, but joy comes in the night. And as we close, look at verse 23. So she kept, so important, so she kept close to the young, the young women of Boaz, gleaning in his field during wheat and barley harvest and living with mother-in-law. And it ends like that. And everyone's thinking, what about Boaz? What's going to happen? Is the romance going to flourish? Come next week is, is cool. Well, oh, yeah. Stephen will be here next week, but the week after that, maybe I should make him preach chapter three because it is dicey. All right? It, it'll get you blood going. All right? We don't know what's going to happen. But listen to me. I'm waiting for you. In seasons, we struggle. Do you know what the temptation is? We don't see God as very favorable. We don't see his kindness. And our faith starts to waver. And what do we do? We start going to the fields of the world. Trying to fill the heart eyes of our heart. And most of the heart eyes of our heart are we're either trying to get approval all the time or trying to get control all the time or something. And it comes out in all kinds of ways. Work, money, job, stress. And, and, and you're just trying to in money I'll find I'll find a pleasure in this the field of money I'm going to find I'm going to find something to deal with all the pain and that it's 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 not under the favor of the Lord what's encouraging is God he's telling me I do believe it and, and, and telling me stay in Boaz's Stay in Boaz's field. Because again, and I say for us, guys, stay. Weak, troubled one, look at a strong Christ. Again, it's not so much about Boaz, but look at who Christ is through the example of Boaz. We are the ones. He is seen, he's again, he's he's done way more above what the law committed. He laid down his life for us. He stepped in, he notices you, he notices you, he sees your pain, he sees the struggle, he sees the hurt, he sees whatever it is. And he's telling you, 
your capital R, not little r, your capital R redeemer is here. And if you don't give up, you keep seeking me. I know I just keep your eyes on me. Keep in my food. And he's saying, child, I will, I will bless you. I will, I will get you through this because it's not your strength, but it's mine. I'm the hero. And our response to that amazing pursuit is, is Ruth's response in verse 10. What do we do? We fall down. And we say, oh, how the Lord has comforted me. Whose wings have taken shall I? We fall down. We fall down before him. And we glean in his field of his deep mercy, love, and grace. As he turns our wrecked situation into a favored situation. So let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. And I thank you that... That Jesus, you have so clearly demonstrated the amazing kindness and favor that we clearly see in, in Boaz. You, Jesus, you did. And I, I just pray right now to for those, um, again, that we've been going through this series, and we're going to keep reading these ideas of struggle and pain and what are we doing in the midst of it, Lord, I pray, Father, right now, they would stay in your kindness, that you would keep them in the field of your great love, and that, Father, they would see that, Jesus, you are such a better redeemer than anything else that they would think could possibly redeem them out of the situation for them, because you gladly died for us. You didn't just die with heroes. Proving the power to give us transforming lives. So Holy Spirit, take the words that I said word, and I pray that, Father, you would just be glorified in your life this morning. Magnify the Lord Jesus. They would see your great kindness in the cross. And have faith. Have faith in you. Well, our tithes and offering passage comes from Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, and I love this, again, we've used this multiple times here, but it says, keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. So again, uh, that's motivation for us to give, because um, we know that the Lord's taken care of us. He's not leaving us, He's not forsaking us, no matter what our numbers are doing in our faith accounts, He's always there for us. And so again, if it's in your heart to give um, to the expansion of, of this church, the Lord of God, these black boxes you exit, encourage you to, to, um, to find ways to give, as you look at that black box, and put your donations in there, but you can also give online. Alright? So I encourage you to do that. Now let's stand and sing our closing song, Crown Him.
kill the dragon, and get the girl. That is what our Christ does. Christ has put dragon. He's coming. And listen, you can lead today. You can lead today knowing you're not the big hero of the story. We can lead today weak because we have a strong Christ. And in Him, we can take shelter under His wings. Amen? Go do that. Thank you for joining us at Grace Lakin. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Grace Lakin KS, on YouTube, and at gracelakin.com. Thank you.